This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. It is MLB Morning Coffee's 10 Tuesday Thoughts from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We are a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network. My name is Greg Moraz. I am the host of this program, and thank you for tuning in today. A reminder, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. Helps out all of our metrics tremendously. I promise you I am going to be on a more consistent recording basis very soon. Got a lot of things going on have to get into a better rhythm, have to develop a routine. And I think that there are a lot of people in baseball that are hoping that their routines end up changing because it's not been a great start for a lot of people and teams around Major League Baseball. For some, it has been. But I'm about to give you my 10 Tuesday thoughts in regards to what is top of mind in Major League Baseball right now. And here is thought number one, which I think is very prevalent given the news that we got yesterday about Dustin May and Luis Robert. We have seen a lot of injuries to young players early this season. Dustin May left his start early on Saturday against Milwaukee, and it was determined yesterday that he had a torn UCL and would need Tommy John surgery. This is a huge blow to a Dodgers rotation that was relying on May to be their swingman, somebody that could be their number five starter and also pitch a couple of innings at maximum effort out of the bullpen. May proved to be a very valuable resource in last year's playoffs as he was used in a variety of different roles. But more importantly, Dustin May is a young, controllable piece that is viewed as the future of the Dodgers' dominant rotation. Clayton Kershaw is getting up there, and Trevor Bauer is only signed to a three-year deal. Plus, he can opt out after this year and after next year. Not that he would, making $40 million a year, but the possibility is there. David Price is a bullpen guy at this point. He is no longer viewed as a viable starter. Julio Urias has proven to be a very valuable asset. And Walker Buehler is in the same boat as Dustin May. Losing May for this year and possibly part of next year is a huge blow to the Dodgers, but it's very concerning that somebody so young would have this severe of an injury. Now, I know what you're thinking, Greg, Tommy John's happen to guys this young all the time, and yes, we've seen guys like Michael Kopech come back from it with flying colors. We've seen countless guys come back from Tommy John surgery and be better than they were before. But it is still an unknown, and it's very sad to see somebody as young as May and that has as bright of a future as Dustin May get hurt in the manner that he did. Now there is the matter of Luis Robert, who tore his hip flexor while running down the first baseline on Sunday when the White Sox played the Indians. Robert is seen as a generational talent in center field and one of the linchpins to the White Sox success in 2021 and beyond. Having already lost Eloy Jimenez for a majority of the 2021 season, it's imperative that the White Sox keep a healthy outfield, and Robert is going to be out for the next 12 to 16 weeks, or in layman's terms, three to four months, before he can even start his recovery. This is a huge blow to a team that was looking to compete for a World Series title this year. 
This was also a non-contact injury, which is even more concerning. The only contact that he made on the play was his foot touching the first base bag. If I'm the White Sox, I'm very concerned about what this can do to Robert in the future, and I take this very slow in his recovery. Needless to say, seeing injuries like this to two very young stars is concerning for what we might see for the rest of 2021. I'm not saying that more guys of this age group are going to get hurt, but it does make you think about whether or not these guys were physically ready to start a 162-game grind. Think about it this way, at least if you're Luis Robert. Your debut season came in a year where you played 60 games. This was going to be your first full season, and now that is pretty much taken away from you. Hopefully the recoveries are successful for Dustin May and Luis Robert. Hopefully we see May back on a mound next season, and hopefully we see Luis Robert back on the field at some point later this year. While the injuries to Dustin May and Luis Robert are unfortunate and unlucky, there are also just plain stupid injuries. Take, for instance, A's starter Jesus Lazardo, who prior to his start on Saturday, and he did not know it until the next day, fractured part of his pinky finger while playing video games. Yes, he got injured playing video games. Here's the story that Bob Melvin gave to the media the next day. Lazardo was playing a video game and, quote, hit his hand on the table. He felt a little bit of discomfort. He went into the cage, started throwing. Trainer said he was fine. He went out to the mound. He pitched three innings, did not pitch well, came off the mound, got an x-ray, and the x-ray revealed a hairline fracture in his left pinky finger. He'll be out for the foreseeable future. I just honestly cannot imagine injuring yourself and putting your team in jeopardy because you were playing video games. Now, I understand that freak injuries happen all the time, but with a team like the Oakland A's that, quite frankly, does not have that much starting pitching depth, they say that they do because they were thinking about a six-man rotation with Mike Fires coming back in, but rotation depth has been an issue for the A's over the past couple of years, and especially injury problems when it comes to their rotation. See Sean Manaya going back a couple of years ago. I think that Lazardo didn't know what he was doing, and I think it's a lesson that he and many others around baseball are going to learn that you cannot put yourself in jeopardy doing stupid things like being angry that you lost a certain session of a video game. Lessons learned, and hopefully for the A's, they find a way to navigate the next part of their schedule without Lazardo because he is one of the top two guys in their rotation. People talk about run differential as the ultimate indicator of a team's success relatively compared to another team, but the run differentials right now in the National League East make absolutely no sense. In fact, the National League East at this point, a division that I thought was going to be the strongest division in baseball, is turning out to be one of the weakest. Granted, one month is a very small sample size, but this is what we have so far. The Nationals are in first place at 12-12, and they have a run differential of minus 14. The Phillies are in second place at 14 and 15. They have a run differential of minus 16. The New York Mets have a run differential of minus 13. They're in third place at 11 and 12. The Atlanta Braves are in fourth place, incredibly, and they have a run differential of minus 16. Their record is 12 and 16. This is where it gets weird. The Miami Marlins are in last place. They have a record of 11 and 16. 
so they have the fewest amount of wins tied with the Mets and the worst winning percentage. They have a run differential of plus four. So the top four teams, including the first place team, have a run differential of less than negative 10. And yet the last place team has a run differential of plus four. In fact, when you look at the run differentials in the National League overall, they are quite wonky. The Milwaukee Brewers are in first place, tied with the St. Louis Cardinals at 17-12. and 12. Their run differential is minus 2. The Cardinals' run differential is plus 20. In the National League West, the San Francisco Giants are in first place. They have a run differential of plus 25. The Dodgers are in second. They have a run differential of plus 45. The Padres in third, granted they're only a game out of first, are plus 15. And the Diamondbacks, who are only two games out of first, are plus 6. The Rockies are only minus 11, and they're eight games under 500. Run differential isn't the only thing, but it is something. As we look at the way the NL East compares to the rest of the National League, it's pretty clear that by a one-month sample size, the division that we all thought would be stronger than the NL Central is actually weaker. We've got a lot of baseball left to be played, but if a one-month sample is any indicator... This should be a very wild division that could go a variety of different ways over the next five months. We'll keep it with the NL East and the New York Mets, as immediately after their 6-5 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals, they fired hitting coach Chili Davis last night and are replacing him with, and yes, this is a real person, Hugh Quattlebaum. Correct. There is a person on this earth named Hugh Quattlebaum. But enough about Hugh Quattlebaum's name. I think that it is very early and very irresponsible to fire a coach one month into a season. Yes, the Mets aren't hitting like they're supposed to right now, and they're very disappointed out of the performance that they've gotten from Francisco Lindor. The Mets are a very disappointing team, and it's understandable why you want to make a move like this. But I feel like the hitting coach is the ultimate scapegoat for a lack of team offensive success. Let's take a look at why the Mets have been struggling so far. Quite simply put, the power has not been there. Through 25 games, the Mets are last in all of baseball in homers with 18. Despite that, they are tied for 10th in the big leagues in batting average at 240. Runs scored, though, is a different issue. The Mets are last in all of baseball in runs scored with 76. They've scored just 76 runs in 25 games. That's barely over three runs per game. If you're scoring three runs per game, you are darn lucky to be 11 and 12. Individually, Pete Alonso has five of the Mets' 18 team home runs. He's hitting 282, but the rest of the team, they're nowhere to be found really offensively. Your big acquisition, Francisco Lindor, he's hitting 163 through his first 23 games with one homer and three runs batted in. He has walked 13 times, which leads the team, but he's also struck out 14 times. Dominic Smith, he's hitting 222, and he's got 22 strikeouts compared to just three walks. Jeff McNeil, he's hitting 235. He's got nine walks compared to seven strikeouts, but he has just two home runs. Michael Conforto, he's hitting 244 with two home runs, nine runs batted in, 10 walks, and 22 RBI. This is a Mets team that has some offensive talent, but they haven't put it together so far. So maybe a change in voice will help them, but again, 
I really feel like firing a hitting coach this early in the season is scapegoating that coach for what the players need to take responsibility for. One of the biggest surprises in the positive direction so far this season is Cubs third baseman outfielder Chris Bryant. Left for dead after last year in which he struggled mightily, Bryant has had a resurgence of epic proportions in 2021. He is tied for the Major League lead in home runs with nine while hitting 323 with a 405 on on-base percentage. He has a 708 slugging, which is tied with Ronald Acuna for tops in the National League and an OPS of 1.114. There was an article that came out yesterday about Bryant completely remaking his swing to adjust for modern baseball, and clearly it has worked. Bryant has been the Cubs' best offensive player through the first month of the season and leaves the Cubs with an interesting decision. Everybody thought that the Cubs were going to trade Chris Bryant last offseason while he still had high value and while they could get a good amount of return back for him, given that he would have two years left on his contract entering the 2020 season. Well, COVID happened, Bryant struggled, and the Cubs weren't able to trade him at all. Now the Cubs face an interesting position as they need to re-sign if they wanted to keep all three of them, Bryant, Javier Baez, and Anthony Rizzo, part of their core infield three. Problem is, the Cubs are not going to pay the type of money to keep all three of those guys. So who is traded and who is kept? The statistics say that you keep Chris Bryant, but I feel like the Cubs thought that Bryant was going to be easier to keep because his value would not be as high. Well, as it turns out, his first month of 2021 has only increased his value, which on one end will allow you to get a lot more back for him, but on the other end, it won't allow you to keep him for the price that you want to keep him. I think Chris Bryant is the number one trade target for almost any team going into July, and the Cubs will get a lot back for him if they trade him. But it begs the question, what will the Cubs do in order to keep him, and will they pay what Bryant will ultimately end up demanding in order to keep his bat? Because the alternative is either Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, both of those guys, or potentially all three of those guys. Baez and Rizzo at this point are not guys that I feel comfortable giving a long-term extension to because their statistics, at least this year, have not proven that they are going to sustain that success moving forward. Now, Rizzo is on the older side, so that argument holds truer for him than it does for Baez. We've talked about the strikeout issues that Baez has had over the course of the last two seasons. His value isn't nearly as high as it was coming off of his near-MVP season in 2018, but he'll still get a significant amount of money given that he is going to be a part of a big free agent class of shortstops. I'm not sure what the Cubs do with Chris Bryant, but I feel like his start to the 2021 season gives the Cubs a lot of optimism that they could get a lot back for him, more so than they thought just a year ago. There is serious concern about the long-term viability of Shohei Otani as a major league pitcher. He's a bona fide budding star offensively, as he is two home runs behind the major league lead. But Otani has not been able to stay healthy on the pitcher's mound. He was supposed to start last night's game, but was a late scratch, yet still ended up being in the lineup anyway. He has made three starts this season and has only pitched 13 and two-thirds innings. Over the course of the last two seasons, albeit last year a shortened 60-game sample, he has pitched in just five games and has gone just 15 and two-thirds innings. 
I think that Otani still has the opportunity to be a good major league pitcher, but I don't think you can rely on him to be an every fifth day guy. I want to see Shohei Otani on a mound every five days, but there's no evidence at this point that he'll be able to do that. Here's hoping that Shohei Otani will find some consistent health in regards to his right arm and that we will see him every five days, but right now, Alarm bells are flashing that he's being scratched from starts and yet is still in the lineup that very same night. I want Shohei Otani to be what the Angels and what the rest of Major League Baseball wants him to be, but at this point in year four, granted it's year three in terms of him actually playing because he missed all of 2019, but in year four in an Angels uniform, there is zero evidence to the contrary that he will be able to pitch a full, successful Major League season. I don't want to spend too much time on Roberto Alomar, but he resigned his position from the board of directors on Baseball's Hall of Fame yesterday. Alomar was also fired last week as a consultant by Major League Baseball after an investigation into a sexual misconduct allegation. Unfortunately, I don't think this is the last time that we're going to see a player in this type of position because of a sexual misconduct or a sexual harassment allegation. We love baseball players because of their performance on the field, but a lot of what they do off the field is quite frankly reprehensible. Roberto Alomar was a great baseball player, but in this instance, a reprehensible human being. We can separate the player on the field from the player off the field, but we have to recognize who the player is off the field before we start defending them. We will defend a player because of what they did on the field, But what they did off the field, in most instances, in a situation like this, is indefensible. So good on Major League Baseball for doing the right thing in regards to Roberto Alomar. Unfortunately, as I said, this won't be the last time that we hear of a sexual misconduct investigation in regards to a former Major League Baseball star. Mike Trout is having a historically great start to his 2021 season. Through 24 games and 83 at-bats, he's hitting 410 with a 515 on base percentage and an OPS of 1274. He has seven home runs and 16 runs batted in to go along with eight doubles. Mike Trout is simply elite at what he does, but when you look at this year compared to every other year in his past, he's on pace to be the best that he's ever been. Power numbers-wise, he has a chance to hit 40 homers and an opportunity, should the run production tick up, to drive in over 100 runs. But let's just sit back and appreciate what Mike Trout is doing at this moment because at age 29, yes, I could not believe this, Mike Trout is only 29 years old. At this point in his career, he is proving that he is on track to be one of the greatest outfielders statistically of all time. And this year may be historically one of the best that we've ever seen. Granted, it's very difficult to hit 400 for an entire season. Only Ted Williams has ever done it. But if there's anybody that could eclipse that feat, it would be Mike Trout. And over the course of his career, he has proven to stay consistent for an entire year. With the exception of his 40-game debut season in 2011, Trout has never hit below 280 in a single season. So to say that he could keep it above 400 is well within the realm of possibility. There is already frustration in the Chicago White Sox clubhouse about the managerial decisions of a one Tony La Russa. 
We've gone through the ringer in regards to LaRusse's qualifications for the job and the fact that at this point in his life, he may not be mentally adept to be a major league manager. He hasn't been in the dugout since 2011, and the game has changed since then. His decision to bench your mean Mercedes on Sunday because he was late in favor of Jake Lamb, who's hitting 167, was mind-boggling to me. But Tony LaRusa has made many mind-boggling decisions throughout the course of this season. Now without Luis Robert for the next three to four months, LaRusa is going to have to find a way to put out a productive lineup that includes Adam Eaton and a bunch of other dudes in the outfield. Adam Engel is still a month away from coming back, and that will be a big pickup for the White Sox, but they're going to have to play a lot of Billy Hamilton and Jake Lamb in the outfield. I hope that Andrew Vaughn gets the opportunity to start every day in left field, but LaRusse seemingly doesn't want to play rookies. He doesn't want to play Andrew Vaughn, even though he was the third overall pick in the 2019 MLB first-year player draft. Leary Garcia is much more useful as a utility infielder than he is as a utility outfielder, but LaRusse's decisions to not play guys like Vaughn, to bench your mean Mercedes for no reason, that is what has a lot of players frustrated in the White Sox clubhouse, not to mention the awful decisions in regards to starting pitcher and bullpen management. There was a situation a couple of weeks ago where he let Lucas Giolito hang out to dry for no apparent reason other than he had no idea that Giolito was tired, and it took Giolito talking to the media about being tired for La Russa to then understand that Giolito was tired. He found out about Giolito's fatigue from a media member that had talked to Giolito earlier. The fact that LaRusa doesn't know these things is concerning because it proves that he's not all the way there. This was a cronyistic hire, and if the White Sox are going to keep the train on the tracks, LaRusa cannot be the manager in 2022. If you're getting upset about this manager on May 3rd, what's to say that this won't get worse at this point onward? Our final thought on our 10 Tuesday thoughts is happy minor league baseball opening day. Most minor league baseball teams have not played a game in over 600 days. And for me, minor league baseball opening day is a very bittersweet moment. I'm very happy for the players, coaches, fans, and broadcasters that get to return to their ballparks and be a part of the game that they love. I did it for five seasons and I miss it dearly. I hope to one day be able to do it again. What makes me even sadder, though, is that of the three organizations that I worked for, none of them are even affiliated with Major League Baseball anymore. One of them doesn't even exist, period, as the Helena Brewers cease to operate after the 2018 season. I love minor league baseball, and I love the opportunities that it gave me. Broadcasting baseball games is the thing I love to do most in life, and I hope to be able to do it again. But there are a lot of people, like me, that do not have this opportunity anymore. So while it is great to have minor league baseball opening day back, there are many of us that are not feeling nearly as cheery as those of you that are returning to ballparks in 2021. That is it for our 10 Tuesday thoughts here on MLB Morning Coffee. Hope that you enjoyed it tomorrow. We are planning, and I say planning because the recording of this show seems to be as inconsistent as my coffee on day to day, and right now I'm drinking a black cup of coffee that really doesn't have very good taste to it. But we will be back tomorrow with a game I like to call Real or Fake, and we're going to go through 
teams and players and determine whether their starts, and these are all in the positive direction, some in the negative direction, are real or if they're just pretenders in a one-month sample. Thanks for listening to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network, recorded at the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day. Happy Minor League Baseball opening day, and we will talk to you next time.